Well, uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 28. Now, uh, uh, earlier this week, the Lord just really began to stir my heart over this passage, and, uh, and I need to give you a little, little background as to why I believe I'm, I'm sharing this now. Um, at the end of October, um, Calvary Church, which was originally Hernando First Assembly and then became Calvary Christian Center, and then we just became Calvary Church. Uh, in the end of October, we turned 30. 30 years old. Uh, it was 30 years because it was 1989 that the founding pastor uh, Pastor Phil Cook was hired in 1989 and then the end of October. And so I believe there was some meetings before that, but that was the, the first time that they had brought on a, a, a full-time pastor. And um, uh, of, those, um, of those 30 years, believe it or not, I have actually been here uh, 19 of those 30 years. Uh, of those 30 years. And um, uh, that was in um, the year 2000. And I knew God was transitioning us and our family. I was just telling a, a brother here, we used to live in Cape Coral. I had waterfront, a waterfront property connected to 29 miles of lakes. I could literally walk into my front door, say hello to my wife, walk out my back door, grab my fishing pole, and there were bass in my backyard. I'm telling you, it was a little piece of heaven. And uh, uh, it, was, it, it was terrific. But when, when God starts to stir your heart, all of that is meaningless. It loses, uh, it loses everything. God said, hey, I want you to sell your house and, and I want you to get ready because I'm about to move you. I had no idea where it was. Um, and uh, uh, the second pastor of Calvary, Pastor Mike Rarick, came about, and, and I had known him through a church down in Cape Coral. And so we, we built a relationship there. I served under him. I ran a, a, that's where I learned youth ministry. I knew nothing of youth ministry. I was actually in, in retail management and, uh, and I ran stores and opened stores for uh, two different shoe companies. And, and so I was just managing people and doing that and living that life and also preaching and teaching and doing everything else. Uh, amen to everybody who holds down a job and lives for the kingdom at the same time. God God bless you. We know what we know what that's like. But uh, he called uh, and said, "Hey, uh, wh what do you think? Uh, I, I feel like God's going to open a door for you to become the youth pastor here at Calvary." He says, "But what what we need you to do is on a Sunday night, we want to invite you to come down and preach what's called a trial sermon." It was a trial sermon. I, so I, I, Randy was there. I think, uh, uh, I think Herb and Dot may have been there that, that original uh, Sunday night. And so I was praying, and I'm like, Lord, what would you have me to say? Because I'm just not the kind of guy that wants to, like, go into the folder you know, of messages that you've kind of given me or, or, or teach a discipleship lesson that I've already been teaching. And the Lord laid this message 
on my heart, this passage on my heart. And immediately I begin to understand some things that God was actually had a message for this place, a plan for this place. Whether or not it included me, I wasn't sure. I'm like, God, you are going to have me preach a message that is uh it is it's pretty sharp. It's actually a call to action. I said, God, they're probably not going to invite me back, but I'd rather you be happy to, with me than, 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 than they would be happy with me. Well, I came that night, very green, uh, and I preached this message uh, with the same title as today called Step Into the Yoke. I want to share a message 19 years later. It's been morphed. It's grown a little bit. And there's a lot of people that I see in this place that I knew you as a teenager. Uh, I've walked you, you know, you walked with you, watched you uh, actually become fathers and mothers. And many of you went from being just fathers and mothers and now you're grandmothers and grandfathers. And I believe that this message is as relevant today as it was uh, when on a Sunday night when I came to preach a trial sermon and then go eat ice cream over at somebody's house afterwards. Uh, it is a message that God has for you today. It's a prophetic message. It's time released and it's for us now. Matthew chapter 11, let's read it together. 28, 29, and 30 says this. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a great message just in and of itself? You just read that and you're just like, hallelujah. I am thankful that Jesus uttered these words. But today I kind of want us to, uh, to look a little bit deeper into this passage because God has a tremendous message for every person here. If, you, if you're here and you don't have a legitimate relationship with God, this message is for you. If, if, if you do have an alive, born-again relationship with God, this is a message for you. It is full of life and power and a call to action. First thing you need to know about this passage is this. Jesus has an open invitation. Jesus has an open invitation. What does he say? Come to me. Come to me. And you know, and sometimes in life, uh, you know, we, 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 we kind of morph our image of God. We think that he is he is so holy, so perfect, so other than, so different than we are that he doesn't want to be near us because we are sinful and fallen and uh, we can't believe the thoughts that we struggle with or the words that we've said or the things that we've done or the way that we treated our spouse or the mistakes that we made. But yet in the midst of all of that, in his omniscience, that in his all-knowing nature, Jesus says, come. Come to me. 
Come to me. Listen, do you wake up in the morning hearing heaven's beckon call? Come to me. It's a standing open invitation to you and I to come into relationship with God. Come to me with open arms and open heart. Jesus is inviting us into relationship. And I can't help but notice who he's inviting. All who are laboring and heavy laden. By the way, he's just not inviting the perfect people. He's inviting those who are weighed down, who are under pressure, who have have been feeling a weight that is bigger than themselves that they cannot bear. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but I have. When when I, I, I when I right after I came here, I began to struggle with an irregular heartbeat. Because I did not understand stress. Not because, of, not because of pastoring. It was because I did not understand that your body absorbs everything that your mind can't handle. And there were, there were moments where I would be just doing, uh, just walking around having a normal conversation. I'd be leading worship. I'd be doing something. And all of a sudden, my heart would jump to over 200 beats a minute for no reason. And I was like, oh, 29, 30 years old. I think I'm dying. And I, 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 I can remember the weight of burden thinking, you know, I have, I have one child and one on the way. And, 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 and now my heart is, I, I'm thinking, you know, every thought, you know, in your head, you think the worst and it's really not what you think it is. I can remember a, a day when I was, I was standing in the shower and I was dealing with this. I would wake up every day feeling this weight. I knew God. I was preaching. I was leading all of those things. And yet I was heavy and weighed down personally. I stood in the shower and I stood on God's word and I pounded the wall. And I said these words, I will live and not die and declare the wondrous works of God. I will live and not die. And it was like I was chipping away at a rock. With the words that Jesus gave. It was him. It was him. That was, it was inviting me into fresh relationship with him. And there are those here today who are striving in life. And you're being crushed by a weight you can't bear. And I, 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 I have to give you this word from the Lord today. You're in this place today with an unsettled heart. And you need to hear how Jesus finishes the first verse. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. When we choose to turn to Jesus instead of the bottle, we find rest. 
when we choose to turn to Jesus instead of, of opiates, we find rest. When we choose to turn to Jesus instead of entertainment, we find rest. And one of the things the enemy loves to whisper is, that won't work for me. And yet, Jesus has an open invitation to everybody saying, come, come, come to me, come to me. Relationship with Jesus is the answer to an unsettled heart. And I believe that God wants to release his supernatural peace as we would throw off the fetters of those things which have been crushing us and lay them at a, the feet of a Savior who has said, please come. Cast your cares upon me. Why? Because I care for you. You know, normally I don't do this, but I, I really feel compelled even right now to just pray for a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, In Jesus' name, every crushed and laboring heart, God, right now, I pray that they would answer the call to come. Lord, I thank you that there's not a closed door, but there's an open door. And Lord, the laboring and the striving it comes to an end at the feet, the nail-pierced feet of a loving Savior. Do it today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second thing I want you to know from this passage is there's an open invitation, but Jesus isn't empty-handed. Many times people think, when I come to Christ, you know, he's got open arms, and that is absolutely true. He has open arms. He's just not empty-handed. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, give you a broad definition of yoke, and then I'm going to give you a cultural definition of yoke, which you're going to begin to understand at a little bit different level. Now, uh, the, this, in the broad sense, a yoke is what they would use with oxen. They would yoke oxen together uh, for the purpose of farming, plowing, uh, making things, fields ready. And the reason why you would yoke oxen together is a principle called synergy. And that is one uh, could pull a thousand pounds of weight, but two oxen, they didn't pull uh, 2,000 pounds. They could together pull 10,000 pounds. It is that when the two come together in agreement, working together at the same pace and at the rate uh, of the stronger one, then there is a multiplication that happens. This, so a yoke was simply something that would bind some, usually, two oxen together. So, I want you to know, first of all, just plainly, 
When you come to Jesus, he's saying, step into the yoke. Believers, you need to hear this. You've come into relationship with God. It, that is not the finish line. It's the starting gun going off at the beginning of the race. I'm thinking of, of uh, uh, some well, just amazing members here today who heard a gun go off just a couple of hours ago in the New York City Marathon. And they're up, they're up running and qualified in the New York City Marathon. I am grateful that they are running a marathon this morning. Amen. Good for them. Um, but salvation is not the end. Coming into relationship with God is not the end. It's the beginning. And then Jesus is saying, you step into the yoke with me. You get into the yoke with me. And you think, well, what can I do by myself? Not much. But when you get into the yoke with Christ, there is a synergy that takes place and you begin to move at a speed you would never be able to move at on your own. You begin to work in a power that you would never, ever access on your own. Church, we have to step into the yoke. In a season of harvest, we have to step into the yoke and dare to go to our jobs in a different spirit. The spirit of Christ in the yoke. We dare to go into our communities in a different spirit. We work our businesses in a different spirit in the yoke of Christ. And I, I, I would compel you today to step out of, of this, this terrible word called normal. Normal. Let me just tell you about normal. Normal says that, that my kids will be only 4%. Will be part of only 4% that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in America. Let me tell you what normal church is bringing on. The demise of Christianity in America. That's what normal is doing. Normal, when we embrace the American dream like it's Jesus' dream, that's normal. Normal now is school shootings. That's not normal. Normal is millions and millions of abortions since the 70s. That's normal. Let me tell you, normal's not working. No more's not working. And the reason why the church, has, I believe, has accepted normal is because when they came to Christ, they were convinced he was empty-handed. That there was something for the pastor to do, but I'm not real sure about what he wanted me to do. I'm telling you today, God is saying, step back into the yoke. Maybe you slipped out of it. Maybe you were once active in the kingdom. Maybe you once thought of your job as, Lord, I want you to use my field of expertise for your glory. But you just stepped out of it. And what did you step into? Normal. Normal will not produce kingdom life. There's only one thing. It's pulling with the king in the yoke of Christ. Now, there is also a cultural definition that Jesus was using here. And this is powerful. When he said the word yoke, in the place that he said the word yoke, 
it meant something to this very religious culture. You see, he was referring to the yoke of a rabbi. You see, in the time of Christ, especially in his headquarters, which is Capernaum in Galilee, it's the cradle of Christianity. This is uh, where Peter's uh, mother-in-law gets healed. This is uh, Capernaum uh, in Israel had the largest synagogue and school. So this is this area. So you read all of Matthew 11, you actually find that he's actually saying, woe to you, Capernaum. Because all of these signs and wonders had been done there. Capernaum actually had five of the most influential rabbis in all of Israel. And why I say they were the most influential is in Hebrew terms, they would say these rabbis had something called smika. Smika is the ability graced by God to interpret Torah in a fresh way. There were normal Torah teachers, and then there were these special rabbis. And these special rabbis went around trying to get disciples to follow their way. Think of it in terms of they were trying to build their church. Young people, think of it as they were trying to build their gram. They're trying to get followers. People who liked the way that they interpreted the Torah. Matter of fact, let me open your eyes a little bit to the culture when you're reading the New Testament. Rabbis would regularly say things like this, the, the smika rabbis. This is what they say. You have heard it in the past. But I say... And so they would give some, some, uh, something that most people know. But they, they said, but I have a fresh revelation. How many of you know Jesus did that? Jesus said, you have heard, do not murder. But I say, don't even have hatred in your heart. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. What was he doing? What, and, and did you notice that over and over again throughout the New Testament, all of these rabbis, scribes, and leaders, they were familiar with all of the other rabbis with the Samika. But they were like, where did he get this authority? Like, what, what, and, and by the way, in order for a rabbi to be recognized as this, you had to be recognized by another rabbi with this grace, and they would actually lay hands on, on them and anoint them to do the very same thing. So they were always asking, why, why? Why do you do this? Why, why are you doing this? Where did this authority come from? And so when he says, take my yoke upon you, he is speaking to a very religious crowd who are looking for religious answers, and they are not finding them. And he says, he's saying, take my teaching upon you and learn what I teach you about God and his word. And what's the first thing he says in verse 29? He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Um, uh, there, there is uh, um, uh, many, many theologians believe this, 
that uh, one of the greatest revelations of the New Testament is that God was humble. They, they, the, in the Old Testament, God's humility was connected to other attributes. In the New Testament, when God himself takes on flesh and dies on a cross, he reveals a level of humility that is revelatory. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and God is humble. And we have to say, okay, if I'm going to take this yoke upon me, I need to understand how God is going to handle me. What's the heart in which he is embracing me? And here's what you need to hear, sons and daughters. God is meek and lowly in heart. Is he all-powerful? Yes, he is. But he chooses to be humble with us, gentle with us. And many of us don't have that revelation. Why? Because we have not taken, taken the yoke of Jesus' teaching. What else was, was his, his yoke saying? Here's what his, his, his yoke was saying. Salvation is, is a free gift and it's not of works. Salvation is not of works. Jesus comes and he teaches this. In John 3, 16, you would know, you should know this. Most of you could quote it. What is the key that unlocks everything? It is belief. It is belief. Matter of fact, when, when asked, Jesus says, hey, what work should we do? He says this, only believe. He's saying, listen, my yoke is saying salvation is not of works. And listen, church, we have to get back into the yoke of Christ and, and really fully embrace the grace of God. That grace is good. That grace is still undeserved. That grace releases a favor you cannot earn and you cannot cannot purchase you cannot buy it you can't measure it it's unbelievable it's it causes you know him, him people who write hymns it makes them write and pen the words amazing grace grace is still amazing and this was the yoke he says you're weary because you're trying to do this out of works and jesus comes with a message of believe Believe, and you'll find rest. What else did he say? He says, there, there, his yoke says, there's an abundant, free life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes uh, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That in the Greek, uh, the word fullest means super abundant. He's saying, listen, my yoke, there is super abundant life. Listen, the reason why we are heavy and weighed down is because we hear those words and we dismiss them. We cannot dismiss the fact that if even when you're going through circumstance, Jesus came to give me abundant life and I could enter into rest no matter what I'm going through if I would by faith step into that yoke. I have to step into the yoke. I have to take that teaching and, and put it on my life. What else? He says, there's a purpose for you. There's a purpose for you. Jesus revealed purpose. 
He revealed that he would use the very common people of the land, the uneducated. He would take them and pour into them and walk with them that they might shine the light of God through their lives. He also said, there's power for you. His teaching says there's power. How do I know this? Because in John 14, Jesus, he says, those who believe in me, those who've taken my yoke upon their life, the works I do, they will do also. And what? Greater works than these will they do. Why? Because I go to my Father. And those who went to the school of the Spirit know that when he went to the Father, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Father gave him the Holy Spirit. And Jesus poured out the Spirit of God on the church so that the same Spirit that activated Jesus in ministry would now activate every son and daughter. There's power for you. But here's what we do. We slip out of that yoke and say, well, that's really for Jesus. That's for the pastor. The only problem is, is that the scripture continues to say, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That means you will say what God is saying because the Spirit of God fills you and uses you. And by the way, I love it. It's the great equalizer of Acts 2. It says men and women. Come on, shout women. God wants to use you. God wants to make you a voice. I love this idea that on the day of Pentecost, women stood up speaking in languages they could not have known and devout men in this male-dominated society, heard women from the upper room declaring the wondrous praises of God, and they got saved because the women were preaching in their language. Come on, you need to, you need, you need to understand. God's got a purpose and a plan for you. Women, God wants to use you. Men, God wants to use you. He has revealed there's a power for you, but don't slip out of the yoke. Let's get in the yoke. Let's say, I'm not walking in it now, but I'm going to walk in it in a greater measure tomorrow. I'm not seeing every cancer case healed yet, but there's tomorrow. There's today. Man, my son or daughter, haven't, they haven't come home and come into their right mind yet, but they're coming home. Why? Because I'm standing and believing in prayer. I'm speaking to the mountain of deception that's on their life, and I'm saying, mountain of deception, you be thou removed and cast into the sea, and I don't doubt in my heart. Why? Because I got in this yoke with a Christ who does not doubt. So when he's pulling, I'm pulling at his pace. He's not pulling at my pace. You get into the yoke of your rabbi. Get into his teaching. Not what you have been teaching yourself. Not what your circumstances have been handing you as doctrine. And I want to tell you, I don't care how long you've been in this thing, there still remains a revelation of Jesus for you. There still remains a revelation. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm praying for you, Ephesians church, quite possibly the greatest church of the New Testament, the first 
New Testament age, in the very beginning, it's a huge church. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the same, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe a According to the working of his mighty power. Listen, don't, don't think because I've been in this long enough. I've, I've, I've heard hundreds if not thousands of sermons. I've read uh, through the Bible that there isn't still a revelation. Because Paul says there is a fresh revelation of Jesus waiting on you. And I'm praying that you would receive it. And you and I can receive a fresh revelation of Christ. Knowing the, the, the greatness of the inheritance that we have in the kingdom. Kingdom, also the power that is for us as we walk out the kingdom in this life with him. There's a fresh revelation. So church, God's saying, get back in the yoke. Step back in the yoke. You have to step in and cooperate. Jesus' yoke will release wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Why? So you can spread that knowledge in every area of influence he gives you. That's what he wants to do through our lives. That's what he wants to, to, to release through us. The knowledge of Christ. The fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. And lastly, what I want you to grab hold of today is that Jesus' way works. Jesus' way works. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, easy is kind of a weird translation of this Greek word, krestos. Uh, um, it, it, in the verb form, it means to use. Um, uh, by implication, it means, this word easy, it means serviceable. Like if I were to explain this to somebody who is in construction, I would just to help you to understand this word easy, it would be this. It is the, the right tool for the job. Anybody ever been grateful to have the right tool for the job? I can remember this one time. My, you know, my kids were small, and they really believed in baptizing things in the toilet. And, and no matter how much I plunged, I could not bring up from the depths some of the things that were baptized in there. So I went down. And I bought a snake that could turn corners and get in places that you don't want to normally go into. And what happened was, is that, that everything that was clogging up because the right tool was used actually produced freedom. Freedom. 
Some of y'all need a, 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 a snake in your gut, you know. It'd be really good. A little roto-rooter in there. Get some freedom. Um, but, yeah, think of that. Here's what I'm saying. When you step into the yoke of Christ, it's the right tool. This is what Jesus is saying. It's serviceable. It will work. It will work. When you have the wrong tool for the job, it doesn't work. But Jesus says, my yoke, my teachings work. My teachings work. What I say to you works. Listen, let me, let me put it to you very simply. Prayer works. Giving works. Fasting works. Love never fails. It works. All of these things are the yoke of Christ. Overcoming evil with good. It works. Not defending yourself, letting God be your defense and your shield. It works. It works. His yoke works. Oh man, we need some faith. His yoke works. We need to allow unbelief to just scurry out the door. Here's how I know that we're not real sure if the yoke works because the prayer meeting is probably the least attended meeting of the week. Those of us who love prayer, we know it works. Why? Because God is moving in this room because he was moving in this room when there were 25 of us crying out. But when we believe the yoke of Christ works, when the teachings of Christ works, that it's useful, we'll say, man, now we're going to pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know he hears us. We know that when we pray anything according to his will, we will have it. And while, and while sometimes in life we prayed microwave prayers, expecting microwave answers, and then we left that moment thinking prayer doesn't work, what did we do? We slipped out of the yoke and we stepped into our own. And what did we become? A person heavy laden and underweight. And yet Jesus is still saying, hey, come. Hey, come. Come. My yoke is easy. It'll work. And my burden is light. Why is his burden light? This is why, because Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He did all the heavy lifting. He paid the price for our sin. He suffered and died on the cross. He paid the price that we could not pay. The reason his burden is light is because he took the burden. He took the burden. And some of us make the mistake of trying to, you know, pay for our sins. That's nonsense. We receive grace and we confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. So we don't, we don't have to make up for the wrong things that we did. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Listen, he's that good and that's the yoke and it's light. 
Do you know what freedom it is to be able to, instead of living sin conscious, to live God conscious? Oh, when you live sin conscious, you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed in your past. You're paralyzed in your failures. But when you come into the grace of God and know every guilty thing has been forgiven and that his power is there to transform you so you love the things that he loves and then you, you're, not, you're no longer sin conscious, I'm God conscious. God, what do you want to do today? Who do you want to minister to? Who do you want to touch today? What do you want to say through me? What do you want to do through me? When you live God conscious, you're activated and you're moving. What are you moving in? the yoke and we've just got to receive it as it is it's light it's light you say could that be true it is true you are saved by grace through faith not of works lest any man should boast and right behind it for we are God's workmanship in the Greek, poema, God's creative expression in the earth. And he created us to walk in good works, which he laid out beforehand for us to walk in. I want to tell you, church, the message is still as re relevant today as it was uh, 19 years ago and 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke it. There's a standing invitation to everyone in this room to step into the yoke.